0: Section twenty four of History of Henry the Fourth, King of France and Navarre, by John Stevens Cabot Abbot. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter nine The Assassination of the Duke of Guise and of Henry the Third. Part two. The two monarchs met, each surrounded with a gorgeous retinue, in one of the magnificent avenues which conducted to the castle forgetting the animosities of years and remembering only the friendships of childhood they cast themselves cordially into each other's arms the multitude around rent the air with their acclamations henry of navarre now addressed a manifesto to all the inhabitants of france in behalf of their woe-stricken country i conjure you all said he catholics as well as protestants to have pity on the state and on yourselves we have all done and suffered evil enough we have been four years intoxicate insensate and furious is not this sufficient has not god smitten us all enough to allay our fury and to make us wise at last but passion was too much aroused to allow such appeals to be heeded battle after battle with ever-varying success ensued between the combined forces of the king and henry of navarre on one side and of the league aided by many of the princes of catholic europe on the other the storms of winter swept over the freezing armies and the smouldering towns and the wail of the victims of horrid war blended with the moanings of the gale spring came but it brought no joy to desolate distracted wretched france summer came and the bright sun looked down upon barren fields and upon a bleeding starving fighting nation henry of navarre in command of the royal forces at the head of thirty thousand troops was besieging paris which was held by the duke of mayenne and boldly and skilfully was conducting his approaches to a successful termination the cause of the league began to wane henry the third had taken possession of the castle of st Cloud, and from its elevated windows looked out with joy upon the bold assaults and the advancing works the leaders of the league now resolved to resort again to the old weapon of assassination henry the third was to be killed but no man could kill him unless he was also willing to sacrifice his own life the duchess of montpensier sister of the duke of guise for the accomplishment of this purpose won the love by caressings and endearments of jacques clement an ardent enthusiastic monk of wild and romantic imaginings and of the most intense fanaticism the beautiful duchess surrendered herself without any reserve whatever to the paramour she had enticed to her arms that she might obtain the entire supremacy over his mind clement concealed a dagger in his bosom and then went out from the gates of the city accompanied by two soldiers and with a flag of truce ostensibly to take a message to the king he refused to communicate his message to anyone but the monarch himself. Henry III, supposing it to be a communication of importance, perhaps a proposition to surrender, ordered him to be admitted immediately to his cabinet. Two persons only were present with the king. The monk entered, and kneeling, drew a letter from the sleeve of his gown, presented it to the king, and instantly, drawing a large knife from its concealment, plunged it into the entrails of his victim the king uttered a piercing cry caught the knife from his body and struck at the head of his murderer wounding him above the eye the two gentlemen who were present instantly thrust their swords through the body of the assassin and he fell dead the king groaning with anguish was undressed and borne to his bed the tidings spread rapidly and soon reached the ears of the king of navarre who was a few miles distant at Meudon, he galloped to Saint Cloud and knelt with gushing tears at the couch of the dying monarch. Henry the embraced him with apparently the most tender affection. In broken accents, interrupted with groans of anguish, he said, "If my wound proves mortal, I leave my crown to you as my legitimate successor. If my will can have any effect." the crown will remain as firmly upon your brow as it was upon that of Charlemagne. He then assembled his principal officers around him and enjoined them to unite for the preservation of the monarchy and to sustain the claims of the King of Navarre as the indisputable heir to the throne of France. A day of great anxiety passed slowly away, and as the shades of evening settled down over the palace, it became manifest to all, that the wound was mortal the wounded monarch writhed upon his bed in fearful agony at midnight henry of navarre who was busily engaged superintending some of the works of the siege was sent for as the king of france was dying accompanied by a retinue of thirty gentlemen he proceeded at full speed to the gates of the castle where the monarch was struggling in the grasp of the king of terrors It is difficult to imagine the emotions which must have agitated the soul of Henry of Navarre during this dark and gloomy ride. The day had not yet dawned when he arrived at the gates of the castle. The first tidings he received were, The King is Dead. It was the 2nd of August, 1589. Henry of Navarre was now Henry IV, King of France but never did monarch ascend the throne under circumstances of greater perplexity and peril never was a more distracted kingdom placed in the hands of a new monarch henry was now thirty-four years of age the whole kingdom was convulsed by warring factions for years france had been desolated by all the most virulent elements of religious and political animosity all hearts were demoralized by familiarity with the dagger of the assassin and the carnage of the battlefield almost universal depravity had banished all respect for morality and law the whole fabric of society was utterly disorganized under these circumstances henry developed that energy and sagacity which have given him a high position among the most renowned of earthly monarchs he immediately assembled around him that portion of the royal army in whose fidelity he could confide Without the delay of an hour, he commenced dictating letters to all the monarchies of Europe, announcing his accession to the throne, and soliciting their aid to confirm him in his legitimate rights. As the new sovereign entered the chamber of the deceased king, he found the corpse surrounded by many of the Catholic nobility of France. They were ostentatiously solemnizing the obsequies of the departed monarch he heard many low mutterings from these zealous partisans of rome that they would rather die a thousand deaths than allow a protestant king to ascend the throne angry eyes glared upon him from the tumultuous and mutinous crowd and had not henry retired to consult for his own safety he also might have fallen the victim of assassination in the intense excitement of these hours the leading catholics held a meeting and appointed a committee to wait upon henry and inform him that he must immediately abjure protestantism and adopt the catholic faith or forfeit their support to the crown would you have me henry replied profess conversion with a dagger at my throat and could you in the day of battle follow one with confidence who had thus proved that he was an apostate and without a god I can only promise carefully to examine the subject that I may be guided to the truth. Henry was a Protestant from the force of circumstances rather than from conviction. He was not a theologian either in mind or heart, and he regarded the Catholics and the Protestants merely as two political parties, the one or the other of which he would join, according as, in his view, it might promote his personal interests and the welfare of France. In his childhood, he was a Catholic in boyhood under the tuition of his mother protestant influences were thrown around him and he was nominally a protestant he saved his life at st bartholomew by avowing the catholic faith when he escaped from the catholic court and returned to his mother's protestant court in navarre he espoused with new vigour the cause of his protestant friends These changes were, of course, more or less mortifying, and they certainly indicated a total want of religious conviction. He now promised carefully to look at the arguments on both sides of the question and to choose deliberately that which would seem to him right. This arrangement, however, did not suit the more zealous of the Catholics, and in great numbers they abandoned his camp and passed over to the League. The news of the death of Henry the Third was received with unbounded exultation in the besieged city the duchess of montpensier threw her arms around the neck of the messenger who brought her the welcome tidings exclaiming ah my friend is it true is the monster really dead what a gratification i am only grieved to think that he did not know that it was i who directed the blow She rode out immediately that she might have the pleasure herself of communicating the intelligence. She drove through the streets, shouting from her carriage, Good news! Good news! The tyrant is dead! The joy of the priests rose to the highest pitch of fanatical fervor. The assassin was even canonized. The Pope himself condescended to pronounce a eulogium upon the martyr, and a statue was erected in his memory with the inscription, st jacques clement pray for us the league now proclaimed as king the old cardinal de bourbon under the title of charles x and nearly all of catholic europe rallied around this pretender to the crown no one denied the validity of the title according to the principles of legitimacy of henry iv his rights however the catholics deemed forfeited by his protestant tendencies though henry immediately issued a decree promising every surety and support to the catholic religion as the established religion of france still as he did not also promise to devote all his energies to the extirpation of the heresy of protestantism the great majority of the catholics were dissatisfied epernon one of the most conspicuous of the catholic leaders at the head of many thousand catholic soldiers waited upon the king immediately after the death of Henry III and informed him that they could not maintain a Protestant on the throne. With flying banners and resounding bugles, they then marched from the camp and joined the league. So extensive was this disaffection that in one day Henry found himself deserted by all his army except six thousand, most of whom were Protestants nearly thirty thousand men had abandoned him, some to retire to their homes and others to join the army. The army of the League within the capital was now twenty thousand strong. They prepared for a rush upon the scattered and broken ranks of Henry IV. Firmly, fearlessly, and with well-matured plans, he ordered a prompt retreat. Catholic Europe aroused itself in behalf of the League, Henry appealed to Protestant Europe to come to his aid. Elizabeth of England responded promptly to his appeal and promised to send a fleet and troops to the harbour of Dieppe, about one hundred miles northwest of Paris, upon the shores of the English Channel. Firmly and with concentrated ranks, the little army of Protestants crossed the Seine. Twenty thousand leaguers eagerly pursued them, watching in vain for a chance to strike a deadly blow henry ate not slept not and rested not night and day day and night he was everywhere present guiding encouraging protecting this valiant band planting a rear-guard upon the western banks of the seine the chafing foe was held in check until the royalist army had retired beyond the oise upon the farther banks of this stream henry again reared his defences thwarting every endeavour of his enemies exasperated by such unexpected discomfiture. As Henry slowly retreated toward the sea, all the Protestants of the region through which he passed, and many of the moderate Catholics who were in favor of the royal cause and hostile to the house of Guise, flocked to his standard. He soon found himself with seven thousand very determined men, strongly posted behind the ramparts of Dieppe but the duke of mayenne had also received large accessions the spears and banners of his proud host now numbering thirty-five thousand gleamed from all the hills and valleys which surrounded the fortified city for nearly a month there was almost an incessant conflict every morning with anxious eyes the royalists scanned the watery horizon hoping to see the fleet of england coming to their aid cheered by hope they successfully beat back their assailants. The toils of the king were immense. With exalted military genius he guided every movement, at the same time sharing the toil of the humblest soldier. It is a marvel, he wrote, how I live with the labor I undergo. God have pity upon me and show me mercy. Some of Henry's friends, appalled by the strength of the army pursuing him, urged him to embark and seek refuge in England here we are henry replied in france and here let us be buried if we fly now all our hopes will vanish with the wind which bears us in a skirmish one day one of the catholic chieftains the count de Bellon, was taken captive he was led to the headquarters of the king henry greeted him with perfect cordiality and noticing the astonishment of the count in seeing but a few scattered soldiers where he had expected to see a numerous army he said playfully yet with a confident air you do not perceive all that i have with me monsieur de bellon for you do not reckon god and the right on my side the indomitable energy of henry accompanied by a countenance ever serene and cheerful under circumstances apparently so desperate inspired the soldiers with the same intrepidity which glowed in the bosom of their chief but at last the valiant little band, so bravely repelling overwhelming numbers, saw to their inexpressible joy the distant ocean whitened with the sails of the approaching English fleet. Shouts of exultation rolled along their exhausted lines, carrying dismay into the camp of the leaguers. A favorable wind pressed the fleet rapidly forward, and in a few hours, with streaming banners and exultant music and resounding salutes, echoed and re-echoed from english ships and french batteries the fleet of elizabeth loaded to its utmost capacity with money military supplies and men cast anchor in the little harbour of dieppe nearly six thousand men scotch and english were speedily disembarked the duke of mayenne though his army was still double that of henry the fourth did not dare to await the onset of his foes thus recruited hastily breaking up his encampment, he retreated to Paris. Henry IV, in gratitude to God for the succour which he had received from the Protestant Queen of England, directed that thanksgivings should be offered in his quarters according to the religious rites of the Protestant Church. This so exasperated the Catholics, even in his own camp, that a mutiny was excited and several of the Protestant soldiers were wounded in the fray. So extreme was the fanaticism at this time That several protestants after a sanguinary fight having been buried in the battlefield promiscuously in a pit with some catholics who had fallen by their side the priests even of henry's army ordered the protestant bodies to be dug up and thrown out as food for dogs end of section 24